Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. Today's Friday, February 23rd. I'm Stephen Overly. The Department of Homeland Security has an enormous footprint. Everything from policing the southern border to processing visas for high-skilled immigrants, investigations into child sexual material online, domestic security threats, election security. So how DHS brings AI to bear is going to have an outsized impact on American people. And behind those decisions at DHS is one guy, Eric Heisen. My colleague Mohar Chatterjee snagged an interview with Heisen. You'll hear that in a moment. But first, I've got her here. Hey, Mohar. Hey, Stephen. So tell me why Heisen is an interesting figure. Oh, man. So I think of Heisen as the consummate agency AI man. So he was appointed to the role of Department of Homeland Security's chief AI officer two weeks before the October Biden AI executive order embedded these officers across the entire federal government. So he had a bit of a head start. One reason for Heisen's sort of like early advantage in getting AI into the federal government is that he was already the department's chief information officer. Not only that, he came into the department during the transition from Trump to Biden as part of the Biden-Harris tech transition team. So he was actually in the department looking at the aftermath of Trump's 2020 AI executive order. He's already lived through a presidential transition. Like, this man knows the DHS inside out. And so after sitting down with him, what was your big takeaway? It was surprising. So I'd actually spoken to Heisen once before this interview, and we had a a reasonably frank talk. And one of the things that struck me is the man's a little unflappable. He knows that his days might be numbered under Trump presidency. He's a presidential appointee. And his boss just got impeached. It's not like he's sitting cozy in this new job. He has a limited amount of time to get a vast mandate done. The Other quick things that I want to flag is in this interview, we get a remarkable amount of detail into how the nuts and bolts of the department's predictive AI modeling works. So if someone pulls you over at a border and asks, hey, step out of your car, the technology behind getting to that decision is a pretty controversial one, let's say. And so Heisen gets into the specifics of how the department sort of handles uh, their approach to AI technology, to predictive modeling, that sort of stuff. Um, And my biggest takeaway is they've got a lot of ground to cover, not a lot of time to do it. So I'll be watching them very closely. All right, Mohar, I'm excited to hear this interview. Let's get to it. Eric, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. The October Biden AI executive order dropped a lot of responsibilities on your plate. So help me out here. Break it down. What do you actually do as Homeland Security's AI officer? There are really two sides to uh, my role at DHS. Uh, The first is how can DHS leverage AI to uh, 
better uh, execute on our missions, to better keep our country safe, to better serve people that depend on us for critical services, uh, everything from uh, getting to si- assistance after a disaster to uh, traveling through the airports, coming into the country, to businesses importing goods into the country. Uh, DHS touches more Americans on a daily basis than any other federal agency, and we're laser focused on the potential of AI and technology to help us do our job better uh, so that we're able to better serve our country. And then part two, as you mentioned, is that DHS is charged under President Biden's executive order with overseeing a number of areas to uh, promote nationwide AI safety and security, uh, everything from countering AI's uh, use in chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear threats uh, to securing critical infrastructure and uh, many areas in between. And at DHS, we see a really strong link between our own ability to use AI in our own operations uh, and how that will make us better equipped to engage with critical infrastructure, to engage with others around the country on their own use of AI, doing so safely and securely. But also... It's not a new job, though, in, in many fundamental ways. Technology is, is not new. And AI, we know it's, it's a technology that is the next iteration of a lot of the stuff that you were over, already overseeing as chief information officer. So I do want to ask you honestly, is this mainly a change in title for you or is there a meaningful difference in the work that you're doing now in 2024? There's definitely a meaningful difference, but but you're right that AI is not new to DHS. Uh, we have been using AI in all par- in many parts of our operation for many years. Uh, it's been delivering real value to us uh, as well, from predictive models that are helping Customs and Border Protection target their limited inspection resources to stop fentanyl from entering the country to AI algorithms helping Homeland Security investigations identify victims and uh, potential suspects in child sexual abuse cases. Uh, we have been using AI effectively uh, in our mission, and we're continuing to build uh, build up our capabilities there. Um, what's changed, I think, has been uh, this just boom of interest sparked by generative AI uh, over the last now year and a half. And that does have us looking very hard uh, at how we can use this new aspect of the technology in our mission in new ways. And it opens up many other parts of our operations to AI in ways that we didn't uh, see before. I was actually going to ask you about those specific projects because they were part of the AI Core announcement. In early February, you and Secretary Mayorkas launched this initiative to recruit 50 AI experts in 2024. So which project is your top priority to staff with these experts? Well, we will see uh, applications, and uh, I'm excited to get this AI core on board uh, to work on projects across the department. But one of our top priorities across the department, and the one I would highlight for you here, is our work combating the flow of fentanyl into the United States. Uh, It's one of the uh, greatest challenges facing our country, uh, and it's an area where we see incredible potential for uh, AI to continue helping us uh, in that fight. How specifically? So uh, a few different areas that we're thinking about. One is uh, predictive models uh, that help us understand which vehicles, which cargo containers, which people that are coming into the country we need to be spending more time looking at. Customs and Border Protection encounters thousands and thousands of people, cars, trucks coming across the border every single day. They don't have time to inspect every single one 
with uh, incredible rigor. And so with predictive models, uh, we're able to use AI to understand patterns in vehicles crossing history uh, and help them uh, decide which vehicles to refer to inspection. But it's ultimately always an officer's decision and which ones uh, don't need that extra look. We're also looking at what we call non-intrusive inspections, uh, which is essentially the much larger version of your bags going through an x-ray scanner or a TSA at the airport, uh, just doing that for an entire truck or a cargo container. And we're looking at machine learning models to uh, enable us to understand once we're moving a shipping container, uh, a truck, a vehicle through one of those uh, scans, uh, whether that is showing us something that our officers need to take a look at. The Biden administration has been grappling with a surge of people trying to enter the U.S. without authorization. A lot of that administrative logistical burden is yours. Separately, visa applications from high-skilled workers are also backlogged. Your enterprise crosses both buckets. So what is your office doing to make the immigration process faster? Well, and it it touches both. And actually, it's the same types of work uh, that is helping. Fundamentally, uh, what we're looking to do is get rid of, get rid of paper, get rid of manual processing steps, uh, and let our agents and officers, uh, whether those are border patrol agents or U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services immigration officers, spend less time doing routine paperwork and more time focused on high value tasks. So as it pertains to the southern border, uh, we've now gotten to a place just in the last, over the last three years, where uh, over three quarters of the uh, new files for people that are entering the country are completely digital. None of them were three years ago. That's letting us uh, free up our time from Border Patrol agents and others involved in the process uh, so that they're spending less time uh, staring at a screen, less time printing out documents, and more time actually on the front lines doing their jobs, keeping us safe. That's been work that's been a core part of my role as CIO, and we're going to continue to accelerate that with AI innovations. I'm going to ask you the standard but very crucial question really quick here, which is the fear with using AI to augment human capacity is it will bake in the same biases that humans have today, that when you have, say, a biased officer reading a, a, a an immigration application, the way they'd process it the, now is how forevermore it's going to be processed, that it won't keep up with like understanding or, or human value evaluation. So tell me a little bit more about what your office is doing to like mitigate those fears that AI is just going to embed an unfair system, especially for for an agency like yours that has, as you said, so many people's futures tied to it. Yeah, it's an incredibly important concern. uh, And it's one that we take very seriously. The day after the Secretary Mayorkas charged me with standing up our AI task force, we brought in our officer for civil rights and civil liberties to serve as the vice chair of that task force to make sure that we are putting this work uh, front and center uh, in everything that we do. How we're addressing it is really grounded in a solid foundation of rigorous objective testing, evaluation, and transparency uh, on how we're using AI and what it means to people. 
one of the places we've started uh, is our use of face recognition and face capture technology, which is a is a technology that can be controversial. And there are good reasons that it's been controversial in the past, because others have used it in ways that have led to some of those concerns that you've mentioned. So last September, we put in place uh, a comprehensive set of requirements on uh, on testing all of our uses of face recognition uh, on um uh, on uh, being able to ensure that there is not bias in the algorithms that we are using uh, and on doing that regularly, as well as ensuring that our uses of that technology and then all AI more broadly is around providing decision support to our human officers, not in taking away the important role that our employees play in making those critical decisions. I also want to know about the counterweight here because you have a real logistical challenge. You have such a backlog. We just talked about this. My last follow-up here before we move on to topic-wise is what's the demand from you right now in terms of like how much faster can AI make processing? What's the rate now? What's the goal rate in terms of like processing? Any metrics that make sense to you that you want to communicate? Sure. Uh, Well, look, overall, I would say that we have such a com- we have such a complex set of operations that there's there's no single metric. Uh, but I'll I'll give you maybe two examples. Uh, our work on the southern border, uh, digitizing the process of processing someone, uh, has already taken twenty minutes off of a process that uh, used to take about ninety minutes total. Uh, when you apply that uh, across many thousands of cases, the amount of time that's freeing up for our agents and officers adds up very very quickly. On the legal immigration side, uh, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services has made reducing their backlog through technology and other smart processing means one of the uh, their top priorities. They took in uh, almost 11 million filings last year. In doing that and in keeping pace, they were able to reduce their backlogs by 15%. Uh, and so we are seeing real uh, advantages here that are showing real benefits for the American people. It means that we have our Border Patrol agents spending more time out in the field looking out for bad guys. It means that uh, people are having their immigration petitions addressed and processed faster by USCIS and so many other things. On that note, the politics around your department still seem kind of impossible to escape. We talked about your boss being impeached by the House, and I, I've been wondering this. How has this happening affected your work? Honestly, not at all. The work continues. Uh, and uh, I think Secretary Mayorkas would give you the very same answer that uh, he is focused on getting the job done. We are much more focused on what those 260,000 people are doing uh, than uh, and how we can better support and help them uh, than uh, what's going on politically. What does a possible Trump presidency mean for the DHS's AI efforts? So I would say while I wouldn't be around in that situation. Uh, the work that we're doing in this space is led and driven by an incredibly talented and dedicated career federal workforce. And so uh, I expect that uh, the, that work will continue uh, just as we worked on implementing the uh, first gov- uh, government AI executive order that was issued in 2020. That was one of the things I was working on implementing uh, when I came into government. Should there be an administration change, uh, I expect that the initiatives that we've we've laid out on AI would continue. So here's my thing. There is a pretty existential threat to the DHS under a Trump presidency. 
There are threats from the right. The Heritage Foundation has said that the DHS should be closed in their 2025 uh, plan. On the left, the ACLU has said essentially the same thing. The rationale is different. The end game is the same. There's an existential threat to the DHS under, under a Trump presidency. How do you ensure the legacy of your work? I really look at my work uh, as good government, uh, and I think that's work that has been embraced by both parties for uh, a long time in this country, and I think that I would expect that would continue. Top priority to get done in your remaining time at the DHSU. Assuming your day, uh, your your time's up in November, what is the one thing you want to get done on your mandate? Uh, We are working on how we're going to leverage generative AI across the department, uh, and uh, I am incredibly uh, excited and focused on how we can kick off uh, those projects and use them to inform uh, how we're going to continue to use generative AI uh, for different parts of our mission uh, going forward. So that's probably the thing I'm most focused on. The next question I have for you is data handling, because between facial recognition, generative AI, I mean, the ACLU has sued the DHS about how you buy cell phone location data as a means of surveillance. So talk to me about the guardrails you're trying to put in place to use AI in a way that avoids unconstitutional uh, surveillance or or, or um, discriminatory bias. What's the top priority for data handling in your time that you're here? Sure. Uh, we have an incredibly strong data sharing and privacy framework uh, in place across DHS. We are one of the only federal agencies with a uh, statutorily mandated uh, chief privacy officer, Mason Clutter, who I work with every day. We have a very robust process for uh, ensuring that we are only collecting data for reasons that we have authorities to do and that we are only then sharing data uh, within the department in line uh, with those legal authorities. And so Overall, the foundations for data and information sharing and privacy that we have put in place uh, throughout the department's history are are serving us well within AI to ensure that we are not crossing any of those lines. I want to know the ways in which you're helping CISA uh, catalog threats to critical infrastructure and what's risen to the top of your priority list is like, oh, this this thing, guys, we need to pay attention immediately. Sure. Uh, So one of the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agencies uh, mandates under the executive order was to go out and assess the risks that AI could pose today and in the future to the 17 different critical infrastructure sectors across the country. This ranges from finance to transportation to water and many, many other areas. They've done that in coordination with nine other federal agencies. And what we're doing now is understanding what risks they found, what is common, how we think about the different types of risks that AI can pose, whether that's AI uh, enabled attacks from our adversaries to um, challenges with uh, secure and resilient AI adoption uh, among critical infrastructure. Uh, and identifying some of those common themes and recommendations. Uh, What we're then going to be doing at the department level uh, is that under the executive order as well, the secretary has been charged with establishing a new AI safety and security board. And so we're doing that now. We're going to bring together executives from uh, tech companies, from critical infrastructure, academics, uh, advocates, uh, a whole wide, uh, wide range of folks, And uh, we're going to use that board to 
really understand and issue practical recommendations for critical infrastructure to ensure that they are adopting AI safely and securely. Uh, And so that's how we look at that coming together. What is the next thing we can expect from your new AI safety and security board? We are uh, working right now to uh, lock lock in the composition of that board and what its initial work will be. Uh, And so uh, in the next few uh, weeks, you should see us uh, announce uh, who's going to be on that board and how we're going to start leveraging it uh, to get to some of those very goals. Eric, I say this from the bottom of my heart. I really hope you tell Politico first. (laughs) Happy to always be in touch. That's all for today's Politico Tech. Thanks to my coworker Mohar Chatterjee for that great interview. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our managing producer is Annie Reese. Our producer is Afra Abdullah. And our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overley. I'll see you back here on Monday. 